If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you bow your heads with me? We are on the eve, Holy One, of the next legislative session. The governor will deliver the state of the state tomorrow and representatives and senators will begin to sort through the 2,500 plus pieces of legislation they filed over the last few months. Some really good things could happen. We eagerly anticipate the possibility of paid parental leave for state employees, ranked choice voting, tuition aid for people who are incarcerated, and the restoration of public comment in the legislative process. But our anxiety is high. Holy One, about more bans on reproductive and transgender health care, mandating Christian nationalism in public schools, and attacks on the people's power to propose state questions. We are even more concerned about those 43 shell bills, placeholders that legislators almost always use as weapons against bodily autonomy. As we face whatever is ahead, We ask that you prepare us for the work, soften our hearts, strengthen our compassion, steal our resolve, renew our strength so that we may run and not grow weary, walk and not faint, as the prophet Isaiah said. We pray in the name of our teacher Jesus, who always walked towards the fray. Amen. Our reading for this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. We are indeed back in the Sermon on the Mount, this three-chapter-long sermon. We noted last week that Jesus actually delivered this homiletical home run to four dudes, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, which proves that men are actually capable of taking notes at a meeting. 
That line wasn't actually directed at this congregation, of course. If people think a sign of a progressive church is women serving as deacons and trustees, as they do in our congregation, wait until they find out that men serve as scribe for both our board of deacons and our board of trustees. But to be clear, men taking notes at meetings does not mean they are progressive. It means they are participating. It also does not mean that a church is progressive. A progressive church is one that conserves, and I use that word intentionally, conserves the prophetic tradition by questioning orthodoxy, interprets scripture with intellectual honesty, orients itself towards social justice, and practices theological humility. This, however, is not a sermon in which I deliver my entire Doctor of Ministry dissertation. But because people ask this all the time, a progressive church is one that conserves the prophetic tradition by questioning orthodoxy, interprets scripture with intellectual honesty, orients itself towards social justice, and practices theological humility. Speaking of humility, you are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. There seem to be a few ways we have trouble with this phrase, and I think the first is that some Christians are misreading it completely. Instead of, you are the salt of the earth, it seems that there are those who are reading the words of Jesus as a command to salt the earth. To salt the earth. The ritual of spreading salt on the sites of cities raised by conquerors in order to poison the fields and prevent resurgence. To salt the earth is a practice of oppressors and people of violence. This is not simply a bygone practice or ancient lore. It is a modern-day tactic used by evangelical fundamentalists to impose Christianity on the public for purposes of power and control. Last year, Tulsa Public Radio reported that Oklahoma Secretary of Education and now State Superintendent of Education, Ryan Walters, said the state's schools should teach students that they should lead Christian lifestyles. School children need to know that America is the greatest country in the history of the world because of the principles this country was built upon, because we believe that individual rights were given to you by God, and because we believe that morality and Christian values are the way to live your life, Walters said in a video panning left-wing indoctrination. Our state superintendent of education and secretary of education said that children should be taught Christian values as part of the public school curriculum. Which, of course, begs several questions like, which ones? The values that use religion to destroy indigenous people and culture um, the ones that were used to enslave millions of black people? Or how about the values employed during the attempted coup on January 6th? Christian imagery was on display amidst the Trump-Pence 2020 and Confederate flags with QAnon memorabilia and Viking helmets. People held crosses, Jesus saves signs, and Jesus 2020 banners. 
As protesters crowded onto the Capitol steps, across the street, someone blew a shofar while a woman sang, peace in the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus covering this place. In the aftermath of the Capitol attack, many saw a clear connection between the violence and Christian nationalism. As Tish Harrison Warren wrote for the not-liberal magazine Christianity Today, the responsibility of yesterday's violence must be in part laid at the feet of those evangelical leaders who ushered in and applauded Trump's presidency. It can also sadly be laid at the feet of the white American church more broadly. Salt the earth is the strategy of Christian nationalism, which is why many Christians endorse Donald Trump for president who in June 2016 said, we will respect and defend Christian Americans. And later, Christianity will have power. No other candidate ever came close to being that blunt about championing Christian power. That's Christian nationalism in a nutshell, advocating for Christian power rather than Christian principle. Many other candidates advocate for justice, a Christian principle, but Trump said he will champion Christian power. That's why he struck such a deep chord among many white evangelicals. This was their political program for decades, Christian power. It turns out to matter more than Christian principles. Paul Miller, professor of the practice of international affairs at Georgetown University School of Foreign Service, explains, it's easiest to define Christian nationalism by contrasting it with Christianity. Christianity is a religion. It's a set of beliefs about ultimate things, most importantly about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's drawn from the Bible. Christian nationalism, on the other hand, is the insistence that the United States was designed to be officially Christian and that our laws should enforce the doctrines of their version of Christianity. Of course, the U.S. Constitution contains no mention of Christianity or Jesus Christ and refers to religion only twice. In the First Amendment, which bars laws respecting an establishment of religion or prohibition on the free exercise thereof, and in Article 6, which prohibits religious tests for public office. But those who subscribe to Christian nationalism are willing to force their beliefs on anyone and everyone, starting with our children, as Superintendent Walters so clearly advocates. We must, as a beloved community, be clear and stand firm against religious extremists imposing theocracy and against their attacks on the separation of church and state. Jesus never said, by this they will know that you are my disciples if you force Christianity on little children. Jesus actually said, by this they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Christianity is not a form of government. It is a way of life. We are not to salt the earth. We are to be the salt of the earth. When our modern ears hear Jesus use the phrase, you are the salt of the earth, we hear what the phrase has come to mean. The phrase that we use to describe people who are especially good. A very good and honest person or group of people, says Merriam-Webster. 
Cambridge Dictionary expresses it this way, very good, honest, and reasonable, and not thinking you are special in any way. Other dictionaries define it similarly, an individual or group of people considered to be the best or noblest of the kind, those who are considered to be of great worth and reliability, someone who is ordinary but good and honest. This, writes theologian Douglas Hare, makes it all the harder for us to appreciate how strange the phrase must have originally sounded. We can perhaps catch its force better by substituting another seasoning. You are red hot peppers for the whole earth. Said this way, we are reminded that the statement refers not to status, as if it said, you are the world's ethical elite, but to function. You must add zest to the life of the whole world. And isn't that interesting to think about? I mean, spicy isn't exactly a commonly chosen descriptor for Christians. As Robert Louis Stevenson wrote in his diary, as if recording an extraordinary phenomenon, I have been to church today and am not depressed. <laughs> Which really seems to encapsulate the argument that the church has indeed lost its saltiness and might be best thrown out to be trampled underfoot. As sinister as I believe misreading the text to say that Christians are called to salt the earth, what is also highly problematic is the understanding that we might lose our saltiness. It's easy to believe this, of course. Not only do we have Jesus quoted as saying that salt can lose its saltiness, but if we were to go through our spice cabinets and pull out the container of table salt, it has an expiration date. This would seem to indicate that salt really can lose its saltiness. But salt is different than salt product, which is what table salt actually is. It makes it sound a little grosser, but it's true. Salt products that contain iodine or other seasonings can deteriorate over time, but pure salt has no expiration date. It does not lose its saltiness. This saying of Jesus was likely based on a Palestinian proverb concerning the uselessness of impure salt from which the sodium chloride had been leached. The point is unmistakable, as is also its modern application. Any church that adapts itself so completely to the secular world around it that its distinctive calling is forgotten has rendered itself useless its vaunted salt has become tasteless and uninteresting. My concern this morning is that we are content or perhaps too quick to render ourselves useless and uninteresting, to have decided on our own that we have already lost our saltiness. There are going to be a few of you that hear what I am about to say next and know that I am reflecting your own words back to you. 
But I will say this. There were enough of you who expressed some version of the same line that I am compelled to address it from the pulpit. What I have repeatedly heard over the last few weeks is concern that you are not the salt of the earth. None of you said it exactly like that. You use different phrases, you frame it in other ways. It sounds like, I just regret that I'm too old to do anything. Or, my days are full of changing diapers and keeping the laundry going and there's no time to catch my breath and I feel terrible because I can't make any of those meetings. Or, I don't know anything about leading. Or, I can't be there every Saturday. Or, I'm too inexperienced or I'm too busy, or I'm too awkward, or I'm too dumb, or I'm too unprepared, or I'm too poor, or I'm too uncertain, too far down the road, or too fill in the blank to be the salt of the earth. There seems to be a misunderstanding that to be the salt of the earth, we must make every single meeting ever organized about every issue, or that we must be capable of scaling a skyscraper to hang a Greenpeace banner, for our lives to be counted as salty. But we must remember to put this verse in context with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And perhaps you remember the outline that I did last week, the meat of which is about not returning violence for violence. It is about going the extra mile, giving our cloak and our coat, and that most challenging part, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So it turns out being salty has nothing to do with how young or old we are, how our experience level, or how educated we are. The work of not returning violence for violence, the work of going the extra mile, giving our cloak and our coat, the work of loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us, yes, those can be organized at vigils and forums and marches and protests. But most of the time, the most important opportunities to be the salt of the earth is in our daily living, how we raise our children, how we care for the neighbor who lives next door to us, and making sure that acts of kindness are not random, but regularly scheduled programming. It seems to me that the most dangerous misreading of this passage is to believe that everyday discipleship isn't what Jesus was after, or to think that unless one reaches a certain level of piety, that we're no good, we're useless. What if this passage is less about demanding that we do something big and flashy, and more about doing what we can, where we are, with what we have. What if the challenge of this passage is to believe that what Jesus said is true? You are the salt of the earth. Who are we to argue? Thank you.
You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.